In Mark chapter four, verse 30, it says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Today, we get the origin story for Chicago's favorite condiment. This is day five. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to the Journey Through Mark podcast. I'm here once again, of course, with Brendan Lang. Yep. And Melissa Payne. Hi. And we are going to round out the week. Sounds good. With some mustard. With some mustard. Mustard talk. Here's Mm. my question. How many houseplants do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Alive or fake? (laughs) Alive. Interesting. Real houseplants. Right now I have... 12 roses that are okay, cut. Okay, that's not a houseplant. That is not a houseplant. <laughs> Listen, those are hang on, hang on. He's they are they were plants. <laughs> they're, not, they're cut from a houseplant that you have? Well, not my houseplant. They're from Trader Joe's, but they... <laughs> <laughs> That's not a house plant. <laughs> I've got a lot of fake house plants. We, we like the green, about... but we like kill plants. They don't survive. Yeah, yeah. me too. So the one plant Same. that had life at one point in our house are those roses. Oh, that's good. Yep. What about you, Melissa? Do you have house plants? I actually have three little tiny succulents. Okay. And they were from Mother's Day last year. Oh. And so... You made it a full year. For I have a, made it a full year. A plant that doesn't need any sort of care. Nothing. Needs nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> literally, great. I have kept it alive by just watering it like... "Mm." What's the next step? That's the real question. What plant are you going to graduate to? Ooh. I don't know what you graduate to. I don't know. Bigger succulents. A succulent, probably bigger just a succulents? bigger one. Those yeah. are like the little $1, <laughs> yes, you know, the... They just sit in my little kitchen window and they love it. Well, we learn a lot about planting plants today and mm. I'm not good at planting plants. I kill everything. Mm, we were at the farmer's market last year in Evanston and they were like, here's a rosemary tree. This is good for you <laughs> if you don't like to keep plants alive. And I was like, great. And they're like, it's a desert shrub. It doesn't need that much care. And I was like, Excellent. Died two weeks later. Killed it. Yep. It's still sitting in my kitchen because I'm like, I don't want to put Wait, it out. What does it look like? It's just like a, is it it's just, just, it's like a bush. Branches? Kind of, yeah. Are there, is there any green on it? Or is it? Not anymore. <laughs> so it's just literally like sticks. <laughs> Part of me thinks that there's some piece of it that's still alive. Just Maybe. like really deep down. Just hanging in there. Reminds me of Mark 12 when Jesus curses the fig tree <gasps> the and fig it withers. Yep. Cursed all my fig trees. <laughs> yep. Yep. Cursed your rosemary. And rosemary. <laughs> Well, we're talking a lot about plants today. Lots of different parables about growing things, but to get into it, Brendan, why don't you take us through our commentary for today? Day five, a humble supernatural mustard shrub. In today's reading, we encounter a collection of parables about the kingdom of God. A key to interpreting parables is recognizing their riddle-like nature. Parables aren't always as simple as they might seem. In fact, Jesus indicates that they are meant to conceal as much as they reveal. We see this in the parable of the mustard seed. On the surface, this parable teaches about the potential growth of Jesus' kingdom. Just as the smallest of seeds can grow into the largest of all garden plants, so the kingdom of God has the potential to become great. This is an accurate interpretation, but there is another layer of meaning to this parable. Jesus doesn't just say that a mustard seed can grow into a large garden plant. He adds that it has such big branches that the birds can perch, literally nest, in its shade. This is a curious addition because birds generally don't make nests in mustard shrubs, as his agrarian listeners would have known. Mustard shrubs are typically too weak and too hollow. 
This addition to the parable could be a hint about the supernatural character of this particular mustard shrub, and therefore of the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom would grow into something bigger and better than the laws of nature could ever predict. This addition could also provide a clue about the humility of the kingdom. Jesus is clearly playing off themes from Ezekiel 17, a messianic parable in the Old Testament. In that parable, God says he would plant a sprig that would one day grow into a cedar tree, a tree renowned for its stature. Ezekiel 17.23 says that the cedar would become so great that birds of every kind will nest in it, they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. The connections between Ezekiel 17 and the parable of the mustard seed are unmistakable. In both parables, seedlings become great plants that provide homes for birds. The main difference is that one is about a stately cedar tree and the other is about a comparatively less impressive mustard shrub. Jesus therefore seems to be teaching a lesson not only about the growth of the kingdom, but also about its character. His parable offers a corrective to those listening both back then and today who expect that the kingdom of God should reflect the pomp and pageantry of a cedar tree. The kingdom of God has power beyond what the laws of nature can explain, but unlike the kingdoms of this world, God's kingdom comes with the humility of a modest mustard shrub. For day five, we're reading Mark chapter four, verses one through 34. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? 
Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Melissa, want to take us through our discussion questions for day five? First question. Considering the political and religious climate of his time, why do you suppose Jesus taught many things by parables? Why would he save his explanations about the parables for those who genuinely sought him as opposed to those who blindly opposed him? Second question. In Mark 4, 24, Jesus says, Consider carefully what you hear. How carefully do you consider Scripture? Do you just breeze through your reading, or do you reflect on its significance in your life? What would help you consider Jesus' words more carefully? There's so much to cover. There's a lot in this chapter. In this chapter. <laughs> but my first question, Brendan, parables are meant to conceal as much as they reveal. What does that mean? And what's the point? Why do parables reveal just as much as they conceal? So there are a few things at work here. One, thinking about the political context that Jesus is speaking into. Again, he's speaking to a group of people who are living under Roman authority and under a local puppet. We can call him a king. He's not really a king. He's technically a tetrarch, or we could call him a governor. His name is Herod Antipas. We'll see him more as we go through the book of Mark. But you have people who are living under the oppression of a foreign government and speaking a message about a kingdom that is arriving, becoming made manifest through Jesus. That's politically dangerous. And so he conceals his message from the Romans and parables, but he's also concealing it in some ways from those who have wrong expectations of the kingdom he's coming to inaugurate. Mm -hmm. So it was very common at that time for people to expect that the Messiah would be a warrior king who would rise up, who would expel the Romans. And this is how the kingdom of God and what they believe the kingdom of Israel, how it would be reestablished. Jesus does say, I've come to bring the kingdom of God on earth, but that kingdom looks different in the way I subvert and confront and overcome structures like the Roman government mm. is through different mechanisms. And so you see that kind of in the parables. And we talked about that in the parable of the mustard shrub, that it actually has layers of meaning. And you really got to dig in and scratch under the surface and uncover Jesus's meaning. Well, and you said like that humility has sort of been alluded to clearly in Ezekiel, which is exactly what I was thinking <laughs> when I was reading. It's like, clearly this is Ezekiel 17. Yes, absolutely. Well, so <laughs> the key there is Ezekiel 17, you have a parable about a cedar tree. Mm -hmm. And the Old Testament uses this image all the time. These are the biggest, best, baddest trees in the Middle East, right? Mm -hmm. As everybody knows. Yeah. As everybody knows. And it's, they it's, smell it's, good too. Well, so you're a West Coast guy, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Northwest. Think the redwoods, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Sequoia yep. trees. I mean, they're not that big but they're mm -hmm. pretty big. And they're a picture of stature. They're an image of something that's great. 
that's kind of what people expected the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel would look like. They expected mm-hmm. that's what the Messiah King would look like. And Jesus is sort of right-sizing expectations for those who are prepared to hear it, for those who are willing to get beneath the surface, seek him out and understand the real meaning. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, the kingdom of God is coming, but it comes with humility. It doesn't come with might and power and force like the kingdoms of this world. It comes through service and suffering and sacrifice through humility. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It is interesting too that he says that these birds will nest in the mustard seed. It's like Mm -hmm. this humility Mm -hmm. is more comforting than anything large or Mm -hmm. any cedar tree could offer them. It shows that the upside down nature of like people will eventually be drawn to this Mm -hmm. much more than this warrior culture that you think Mm -hmm. I should represent. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about it is typically you can look at pictures of birds perching in mustard plants, right? Shrubs, but you don't see nests because the branches aren't strong enough generally to hold these. And that's why the NIV, I think, translates this as perch, even though the word is technically nest. But if you think about it in the terms of nest, it's saying something about the power and the invitation of this mustard shrub. It's not like the mustard shrubs of this world either. It's humble, but it's also strong. So what's Jesus kind of getting at with these parables? You know, these two that we read today, we've got the sower, but we also have this mustard seed one. What's he trying to get at here? What's the point? There are a number of things. I mean, one, I think Mark is trying to get at by sort of putting all these parables together in this section, Mm -hmm. which all have to do with the seed. Think about what we talked about in Mark chapter three. He had this confrontation with people from Jerusalem Mm -hmm. who accused him of driving out demons by, who was it? Beelzebub. Beelzebub, right? The prince of demons. Think Genesis 3. In Genesis, we read about this conflict between a serpent and a woman, and specifically the seed of a serpent and Mm. the seed of a woman. And Genesis 3, 15 says, I will put enmity between you and your woman, between your offspring, in Hebrew, it's the word seed, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And there, it almost seems like... People sometimes talk about this. They call it the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel, sort of the I'm first- i sorry, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> the, first, the first allusion to the gospel, that a uh-huh. seed of the woman will rise up and confront and conquer and crush the seed of the serpent, which lies. And again, Mark 3, we have this conflict between Jesus and the powers of evil, between the prince of demons who lies. And it's no coincidence, I think, that in chapter 4, we read a series of parables about seeds mm-hmm. and how the seed of- the one, perhaps alluded to, you might say in Genesis 3, who rises up and establishes a kingdom. I think that's one thing that's going on here, potentially. But another thing, I think in all of these, again, he's trying to teach a message about what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's trying to right-size people's expectations for those who are prepared to hear it. There's a really interesting line in Mark 4.25. It says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken I was going to ask about that. That doesn't seem very fair. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, you could read it a lot of different ways. And it almost sounds like whoever has possessions, whoever has money, Mm -hmm. whoever has wealth to them will be given more and those who don't have will be taken away. Right. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think that's how people can hear it if you're spiritually deaf and not prepared to hear his message. But what he's talking about is if you want to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, the mystery of what the kingdom of God has looked like, if you're open to it, if you have then you'll be given more. Come seek me and you will find. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have, even that will be taken away from you. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to what he was talking about in Mark 4, 11 and 12, where he quotes Isaiah 6, where he talks about everything is spoken in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. The idea is that those whose eyes are open, who are receptive and willing to hear the hard message that Jesus wants to teach, he'll give them more. 
for those in his audience, both those who were Roman sympathists and those who were sympathetic to this idea that the kingdom would come with power and force and might, he says, you're not going to understand this. There is something to that. You said the pomp and circumstance of the pomp and pageantry. 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 <laughs> uh-huh. You're so poetic, Brendan. Uh-huh. It's this idea of like, everybody wants the gospel to be like this beautiful, like demonstrative, big, big thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our culture is we've played into that, even as Christians, even as, you know, evangelical Christians and Western culture. Mm-hmm. We want church to be this big thing. We want it to have some sort of FOMO. But my question is, how is this idea of creating modern church difficult to explain or to create, especially for the next generation? Because there is an aspect of it as like, this is exciting. You right. want to share it mm-hmm. and it should be a big deal. But at the same time, it's sort of the opposite of what Jesus intended for the kingdom of God. How do we create this thing? Mm-hmm. How do we make it exciting and unique for the next generation? Well, I think even as churches get larger, people are still looking for that smaller community. Even though there's more people coming, I think that we create ways to help people find where they belong, like right in their community. And you're also seeing this in like house churches and where people are just looking for smaller places to belong. But I don't think that that takes away from the message of the gospel of how great and how grand it is. But I think it is this idea that some people are looking for that grand mega church to be a part of, but then you kind of get lost in it. And so one of the things that we really focus on in student ministry is just the community, the small groups, like where are you actually like doing life with people and like getting real with people so that you can talk about the real things, you know? Yeah. And I think when it comes to like the size of church and Mm -hmm. the pomp and pageantry, Mm -hmm. as you will, I think what larger communities allows you to do is get more diversity of people. The question comes is when you are getting larger and you're not getting more diverse. Mm. You're not including more types of people to find a home, find their small community within the larger community. That's where the question for me mm-hmm. goes to a different place of, okay, who are you for? Right. What is this about? What are we doing? Yeah. And <laughs> what does it say about your view of the kingdom of God if mm. it's not getting more diverse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not inviting in the birds to perch. And I love how you talk about the humility of it, because yeah. I think sometimes right now the thing is influencers, you know, and how can I have a platform and what book can I write and how can I be on a stage and have a place to talk about God, which are all great things. But it's like in the humility, you know, in the way that Jesus came, mm. like, how are we relating to others the true gospel yeah. through humility, yeah. you know? This is a theme we're going to keep running Mm -hmm. up against the whole Mm -hmm. book of Mark. It's this idea that Jesus is a servant king, and therefore, if he's brought the kingdom of God and we're invited to partner with him in it, we're for you and our sins so that we can enter into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Well, the way we should live our lives, the way the kingdom of God looks, it's characterized by service, by humility. I mean, the cross, this was an instrument of humiliation. That's Mm -hmm. what people associated with. Well, the kingdom, it should be a kingdom that's characterized by humility. Now, that doesn't mean that things can't be exciting, that things can't be fun, that we can't celebrate that. I love mustard. (laughs) (laughs) Mustard serves a great purpose. There are lots of flavors of mustard. It's fun. Tastes great. I love it. But it also means like, especially as individuals, even the way we conduct and carry ourselves is with humility. I think sometimes where we've gotten wrong Mm -hmm. in the evangelical church is I believe in absolute truth. I believe scripture is truth. I believe that we should hold firm this idea that Jesus is truth. But I think sometimes we don't present ourselves as humbly Mm -hmm. as Jesus Mm -hmm. would. I think sometimes we come across as though we We've got all the answers mm-hmm. yeah. and we have everything figured out. Yeah. And the truth is we don't. Like, I certainly don't have everything figured out. Every day I open up the Bible and I'm like, new things hit me. What's right. next? You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think 
the way we talk, the way we present ourselves, I think that matters. I also think the way we live our lives, we should be getting our hands dirty mm-hmm. and working alongside the servants of this world and not just be perched up in our ivory towers. You know, we should be among the people. And I think that's a call that Jesus is giving us throughout the whole book. I think that sets a precedence for anybody who works for a church, anybody mm-hmm. who volunteers for a church too. Yeah. There's a certain amount of grit that we have to have in doing this kind of work. And that's sort of what we were originally called to. That's an okay thing. Yeah. And honestly, it is what we were called to from the beginning. You know, there are a lot of ways that the church has gotten it right and a lot of ways the church has gotten it wrong. Mm-hmm. And there is a piece of people who would say, you know what, we need to go back to this idea of like having some sort of show on a Sunday morning, yeah. mm. or we need to have much more drama, or yeah. we need to have much more, mm-hmm. you know, just flash and pizzazz, and it needs to be much more excellent, because that'll draw people in. Mm-hmm. But for me, if that stuff is organically happening because of the community, right. and what they're creating mm-hmm. together, great. Mm-hmm. If it's happening as an end unto itself, that's where it's a problem. Yeah. Right. And for me, the thing that's much more enticing to come to church is to be presented with on a Sunday, something that's really authentic as mm-hmm. far as worship, something that's really authentic as far as community. Mm-hmm. Like how can I walk in and know people yeah. just because we rub shoulders and we strike up a conversation? Right. We know that we're coming from the same place and we're here for similar yeah. things. And then any art or expression that comes out of that yeah. is even more beautiful because you know it's real. Yeah. You know it's organic. You know it doesn't mm-hmm. have a bunch of intention behind it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a way that our church has gotten it wrong in the past. And it's a way that we can move forward in the future is focusing on the things that really matter, which is working with people to create real authentic expressions and interactions and encounters with God on a Sunday morning rather than creating some sort of a show. Yeah. I think the older I get, like the more I realize that I don't know. I realize that maybe I had different views about certain things or I feel like I become more and more open to like God's worldview and how he sees people and how kind of when I was younger, I thought that I had it all figured out and I knew exactly exactly what I believed and that everyone should believe the same way. And the older I get, I realize that it's more about hearing other people's stories, hearing their journeys, where are they coming from and why are they where they are? And then even coming to work here at Willow, it's been amazing because I can see just when someone comes in on a Sunday morning that they are getting greeted, that they are getting welcomed, that they are going to meet two to three people that are going to reach out to them and help them get seated. And like, I don't know. There's an intentionality. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. You can still be excellent at what you do and still be authentic. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that there's no place for excellence in the church. Quite the opposite. But there is something about it that is warm and welcoming that needs to be a trademark of churches going Mm -hmm. forward, especially in times that are much more uncertain. The world is so much more divided today than Mm -hmm. ever before because mainly there's a platform for people to hear everybody's opinion. Right. And that just only divides us more when you have access to everybody's super minute opinion on the matter. But to Welcome all the diversity. I think that's when you win. Well, and that's a picture of the kingdom of God, as Jesus would describe it. So we're wrapping up the first week. Brendan, we're four chapters in, and there's a lot of similar repeating themes, but I'm just curious, are there certain themes that are starting to take shape or even are just being solidified in these first four chapters that we should really take away from this week's reading? Big picture, things we've been learning this week. Jesus has come. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, Mark 1.1. Really jumped into it. Didn't even get a like yeah. origin yeah. story of him. <laughs> exactly. Just got a mustard seed. That's yep. right. That's good news. And then we find Jesus proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And essentially what we read for the next couple chapters are ways that Jesus shows that the kingdom of God is coming near. It's mm-hmm. evidence, it's signs, it's the arrival, the breaking in of the kingdom of God. But we also start noticing some controversy, some people who stand against that, who push back because 
because this doesn't look like what they expect. It's my favorite mm-hmm. part. Why is that? Oh, I just like it when Jesus tears things down. No, there you go. That's my favorite part. Well, I, I thought you liked the people <laughs> confronting it's like Jesus. A, it's like in a home makeover show. Yeah. The sledgehammer part's oh, my yeah. favorite part. Right. So. Chip Gaines tearing down the... <laughs> sure. <laughs> but Take your pick, whatever show you want. But it's unexpected, too. Yeah. You know, they have this expectation of what it's going to look like, and Jesus just comes in and it's like... Unexpected is a great way to talk about yeah. the whole book of Mark. For everybody, this is all so surprising, what Jesus is doing. But this is what it looks like when God becomes king. That's what the story of the book of Mark is all about. We just read this chapter on parables, Mm -hmm. and the big theme I think that we're going to start seeing more as we move towards the future is this issue of sight and blindness. We're going to see other things, but I challenge readers to look to see how do people show themselves as seeing? How do people show themselves to be blind? Because you will start to notice these things in the stories if you're looking for these. Mm -hmm. Hide it under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel. No. That's exactly what I thought of when I read that part. I was like, Lamp on the stand. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to kick it off with all those themes. It's going to be exciting. Bunch of destruction, lots of blindness. Day six starts next week. See you then. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.